Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my dating violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part three of three parts with Lori. With everything in the relationship going the wrong way, it seems impossible that this could ever land in a good place. Hear what happens next. So, yeah, unbelievable. So I went to the hotel and now I got the kids there and I, I don't even know what to say to them. I have, you know, some other friends from the church that came in to help out with just being there. The next day, the next morning, I think, I'm sorry, it was the same day. I think I went to the hotel and he called me at the hotel later and he said, I just want to tell you that Paul just called me and he, and he, he told me he was going to blow me away. And I was like, what? Yeah. He, he said he was, he was going to, you know, blow me away. And I was like, okay. So then he went to the police department in the town where he said it happened. It was not the town that he worked in or the town that we lived in. And um, he, he filed a report charges that Paul threatened his life. So now we got this going on. So now I'm at the hotel, my phone rings and I answer it. And it's a police officer that I know. And he said, just want you to be calm, but we are at your house right now. And we're trying to get in. We think that Paul committed suicide. Now, when you say your house, the house that you had lived in for years. Correct. The one that we, we lived in together Correct. I left and he was in the house now. So what happened was when this threat came in and because he was a police officer and because of everything else that was going on, they sent the SWAT team to the house that we were living in together. And now there's SWAT on all surrounding mm -hmm. the house and there's SWAT on the roof and there's, they evidently were looking in the, and all they could have was the dog barking. Nobody was answering the door and they could see Paul's wallet and his and keys on the counter and his car was there. So they wanted to get in the house. Sure. There was the lockbox on the house because the house had gone up for sale. My girlfriend was a realtor, so I said, let me call her and get the code. 
I was very upset and screaming at my my girlfriend. Can she just get the combo to the to the door so I can give it to the police so they can go in the house? Yes. So got the they got that gave it to them and he stayed on the phone with me and um he just you know was trying to calm me down and they they cleared the house. He says he's not there, not there, not there. Oh my! No one knew where he was. You know I didn't sleep much that night and we didn't I didn't know what was going on or. What kept going through my head was the story that Bill was telling to the attorneys and to, and then it went into- You mean the cement story? Yeah, the cement story. And then the words that he used that Paul was going to blow him away. You know, all the years of being together and yes. being a police officer, he never would use those words. So that stuck in my head, like, like something's not, something's wrong with this story here. How about that? Something's like just not right with the story. <laughs> it was like six o'clock the next morning and I called my close friend and I said, hey, and you know, she knew everything that had happened the night before and everything. I said, listen to this and tell me what you think. She said, something's wrong. And I can't remember every detail about, but it was just, it was just so bizarre. She said, you need to go talk to the priest. And I said, yes, I do. So I called and I, just, I said, I'm coming in to see you for a minute. Okay. And she came with me. And we sat down and he was with one of the other priests who we were all friendly. And actually they, they had helped Paul get into rehab the second time I left that out. He was in rehab twice. This happened after the second time. Sorry. It's hard to keep track of everything sometimes. So I sat down and I said, listen, I said, I think something's wrong with Bill. I said, I don't think, I don't think Paul did this. I said, he used these words and Paul would never, never would say like if he was going to threatened to kill somebody you would just say i'm gonna kill you like when he did it to me it wasn't it was wasn't i'm gonna blow you away you know what i'm saying they went ah they said you know we were just talking about that something's wrong that something's wrong with the story and i was like yeah mm-hmm. yes yeah. yeah i see what you mean you know and i wish i could remember every little thing about it but i, I just don't they're like just leave i don't even remember where i went after that so i just my kids were at, I think my kids were at my parents at that time. So I was, I think I was going to head over there. Oh, I, 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 I was trying to actually call Paul because I just knew something was wrong. Like, and he went and talked to me. I don't know if the SWAT guy called me. I think he might've called me and said, listen, Paul wants to meet you at, he was doing outpatient therapy at this um, place, not too far. He wanted to meet me there. And I said, okay, you know, we set a time to meet. Oh, I forgot. So as I was leaving the church office in walks Bill, he had been calling me and I wasn't taking his calls and he walked in. My friend was with me and she, we just walked right past him and and went out the door and he was like, you know, like what's going on. And then the priest took him in. So later on, I got a call from the priest and he said that Bill confessed. He made it all up and that it didn't really happen and that he had thought it all up because he fell in love with me he thought that paul would with everything going on and now now that the cops are after him and now they're surrounding the house and maybe he would commit suicide that is absolutely insane amazing absolutely amazing so the cement killing you burying you and paul killing bill all of that he made up just hoping that he'd kind of free you up and then you could go off and have a wonderful life together. Can you imagine? It was so unreal. Uh, he ended up doing two years in prison for it. 
two can you imagine like did two he years, yeah the, filing a false false report and i guess that could have resulted in death i think it was worded as could have resulted in death or something with the something about death yeah he got two years in prison well i could see if the swat team were hitting the house and if paul would have panicked in some way or had his gun had his gun they may have killed him or he may have killed one of them on the way to them killing him and all of that precipitated by a bunch of lies carefully crafted yeah it was um wow that's amazing stuff that is really horrible it was very horrible and it was right around my son's birthday and i remember you know meeting again with no so then i went i i met i went and met paul at the rehab outpatient rehab place with don the swat guy and he kind of mediated for us and i just i told him how sorry i was that i i believed it i said but when he said those words i i knew something was wrong and i had no idea what was going on and you know because he's he really didn't want to talk to me and everything that went on with us i didn't think i deserved that because i just you know but anyways he kind of the swat guy kind of mediated in the <laughs> mediated for us and then you know that going through the divorce was just it was horrible it took over two years and and now it was a little peaceful, a little peaceful time. He's finally signed that because he was dragging his feet with everything. He was fighting me with everything. And he um, signed the papers and, you know, had signed the papers for the house finally because that was. But I do remember. So before the house got sold, of course, he was still still gambling again. I told the attorney that I'm not going to the closing. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I can't be there. It was too hard for me. So they did like a private signing the night before signed the paperwork and then I, I had to go to the house. It was just about emptied. When I when I got there, nobody was there. Paul had been moving some stuff out. So I walked into the kitchen and on the kitchen counter was a stack of lottery tickets he had bought. <laughs> all scratched off or all used, I mean. They were actually the uh like the lotto tickets, the paper ones. Yes, the paper ones. Yes. Yeah. yeah the they were all the, lo- they're all losers, the- basically. No, I think he just bought them. Oh. Oh, they yeah. just happened to be sitting were, there and he'd left them on the counter like he didn't know I was going to the house. Oh, how about that? The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, prepackaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. So my former brother-in-law walked in and he's like, Hey, how you doing? I said, 
and I just had just come from the attorney's office. So I was just very upset to find this. And I like threw them all over the place like confetti. I said, yeah, it's just wonderful. You're still gambling. And my brother-in-law was just like, he was like, well, you know, it's his house too. I'm like, really? His house too? I said, do you know why we're losing the house? You know why? Anyways, I was just another. And then he came in, uh, Paul came in and I just, I just, I just left. So it was, you know, one of the things I have to say about him is, is he's a black hole. Nothing you do, you can love him, give him everything. It's just never enough. No matter what you do, what I did, he was a black hole a black hole that's never ever going to be filled finally the divorce was final in september of 2005 and i thought everything was going to be all right now that i was you know divorced and that he would leave me alone but it it just it, it just got worse continued with the constant texting calls and then it got to be getting the kids involved and and i said that he never physically hurt the kids but he started talking crap about me all the I remember it was our anniversary and the kids are in our former anniversary. My son said, mommy, happy anniversary. And I was like, honey, we don't have an anniversary now because, you know, well, daddy said that kind of thing uh, with that. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. tough. Yeah. That is tough. Yes. So there was, there was a lot of stuff, stuff in, in the, you know, little things, I guess in there, but the next big event was, I was leaving work. I had, I, I probably it was probably a 30 minute ride from, from my job to pick up the kids. I got out of work that night. I was supposed to pick the kids up and I was actually, the kids were coming to my house. And then the next day I was leaving for California with my cousins, not with the kids, but Paul was giving me a hard time about, cause he, of course he didn't want me to go. He was trying to control all that, that he wasn't going to going to take the kids because it wasn't his day. So I was picking the kids up when I got out of work. The next morning they were going to go stay with my aunt while we flew off. And then my aunt was going to take them to their dad's whenever it was when he was to see them next. So on the way to the house that night, he was already angry and leaving me nasty messages and sending me nasty texts. I had to stop and grab dog food because I was leaving my dog with someone and I had to get, you know, food. So I wasn't going to go pick the kids up and then backtrack to get dog food. So I just stopped real quick, grabbed dog food. That's the only thing I got. And I got back in the car and he's like, and it was like, there wasn't a set time for me to pick up the kids. It was, you know, I leave work at four and, you know, with traffic, it could be five o'clock. Who knows, you know, with traffic. But so usually I was there by four thirty, quarter, five. So I knew that he was in a very agitated state, knowing him the way I did now, when I got to the house I knew he was he was gonna like it wasn't gonna be good so when I pulled into his his driveway he was then living he moved in with a girl by then so actually I think they might have gotten married by then sorry missed that part I pulled into the driveway to pick up the kids and I knew it wasn't gonna going he wasn't good so I he had like a, a circle driveway so I pulled into the driveway and made sure to turn my car around make sure my windows were up and my doors were locked and sure enough the kids weren't out there he came charging at my car, so angry, charging at my car, screaming at the window, <laughs> but trying to get in my car and he can't get in. Now I'm getting scared. I would too. He's screaming at me. You're late. You're late. He's calling me names and did it. And then he had just gotten off his boat because the boat was there and he was like in his bathing suit. And I know my stepson was up from Florida visiting. So I was like, oh, that must have been on the boat. And he ends up he takes his foot and he, he 
he kicks, he puts his foot right into my car. Now there's a big dent in my car. And I was just, I just, I got my phone and I was like, I'm going to call 911. And that's what I'm going to do. Yes. And the kids don't have any idea what's going on. I mean, sure they know that dad's not happy, but I opened the door and I was screaming at them to shut the door and lock it. And they're like, what? And now their dad is going into the, the back seat of the car trying to come at me. I don't know how he ended up getting, not getting near me, but shut the door, locked it. He went inside and I called the police. It was in the town that he was living in. He didn't work in this particular town. Now I'm like, how many episodes have I had that I didn't call the police? Now I'm doing it. And now my kids are here. And now all my years of trying to make this not happen is come to it's happening. His wife came out to the car and was like, what are you doing? I said, I'm calling the police. Your husband kicked my car. And she's like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And I was like, <laughs> and then he's screaming at me to leave. And I'm on the phone with 911. I told him who I was. I told them who he was. So they were very clear. Mm -hmm. They needed to get the town that he worked in out here. <sighs> so in comes probably four or five cruisers. What a show. A big show. Yeah, and I'm big show. feeling horrible with my kids there. Now the cops are asking if there's someone that can pick up the kids. I'm calling my mother, trying to tell her that I need her to drive to another town. Doesn't know where she is to come pick up the kids. I need her to come pick up the kids right now. Mm. <laughs> I hung up the phone. The police are reading me the riot act. Oh. If you file a false report, you will be prosecuted. You will be arrested. Do you understand that? Because he was telling them that I kicked my own car. Oh, wow. And I said, I, I, of course I understand it. And I did the, the swearing in. They're doing a report in the driveway. They have him up in the front of the house. I don't know if my kids were still in the car then at that time or what they were doing. And now, you know, they might have went in the house. And Paul was standing out in front with a couple other cops. I had two cops talking to me and they were doing the report. And I happened to look over at my car because he was in the front of the house telling them that I kicked my own car. Mm -hmm. She's crazy. She's just trying to get me in trouble. And as I was standing there and I looked at the the car from the angle I was at, you could see his footprint because he had been in bare feet because he was on his boat. Oh, see the toes, see everything. You could see the whole footprint. Just so I said, oh, I said, look what I see. Because they're, they're still not believing me. Right. You see the whole footprint. <laughs> so now it's a whole nother story. They start getting that, that stuff they use for fingerprints and they're going to get the print off the car. Oh. Yeah. Now he's very agitated. Evidently he had been drinking. The officer smelled alcohol in his breath. His wife got in the middle of whatever they were saying. They told her to get in the house and he didn't like the way they talked to his wife. So they, they, um, they took him away in handcuffs. Oh, boy. I was supposed to be leaving for California the next day. My kids were supposed to go with me that night. They didn't want to go with me. They they blamed me. They blamed me oh. that their dad oh. got arrested. And so... Oh, I can see. Yeah, I see that. But then I had a... I had a they made me drive away without my kids. And he's, a, he's now arrested and gone. And now they're at the house with her. I, I don't... I don't understand, right? Oh, my God. That's terrible. I drove off and 
I had to pull over around the corner and I, you know, was having a little mini breakdown and I'm, I had to call my mother and tell her not to come because the kids weren't coming with me. Later on, I don't know if it was a text or if his wife called and said, oh, I guess you're not going to be able to go to California tomorrow because you have to go to court. Oh. I didn't tell her, but I said, I'm going to California. <laughs> you know, they already said I didn't have to be here. Yeah, off I went on the plane, but I was, you know, pretty devastated because of my kids. I couldn't, you know, here it was my, all my fears of all these years of protecting him and not doing anything happened right in front of my kids. Right. The next day, a, a victim's advocate called me. I was, I was in California. I had landed. She said, you know, that they were doing a uh, protective order. And of course, when you do that, he has to be on leave. They have to take his gun. You know, he's not allowed to work. That makes sense. That's right. Yep. I still felt bad, but I was more upset that my kids, I still had, wasn't able to talk to my kids. You know, it was, that was pretty devastating. I ended up talking to them during the time I was gone. And then when I got home, the visitation with them went back to normal. I had to go to court when I got back for it. There was a temporary protective order. And at court, the judge said they were going to give me a different protective order. That he had no contact with me, whatever, but he could he could work. Well, I didn't get what that meant. You know, I didn't really get what that meant. So as the days went on and, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, but things were pretty quiet, but the days went on and they weren't anymore. So now I have this piece of paper that says, you know, no contact. Yes. Yeah, stay away. Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that is right. So when I, I was getting the, the normal nasty messages on and on, I went to the court and I said, listen, this is happening. Like, and there's like, there's, there's not a protective order. That's not a, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? What is it then? So evidently it was some type of bench order. I'm like, what is, what is that? It doesn't really mean anything. Oh, it doesn't mean anything. So he could come in contact with you. Nothing they could do. Yeah. And there was nothing they could do. I said, I need to talk to somebody to tell me what this is then. Why? I don't understand. You know, do I need to, I told him, I said, do I need to go to the news? Do I need to go to channel three? You know, whatever. Because this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yes, of course. Pretty much there wasn't anything, you know, I could act up and be whatever, but they weren't doing anything. (laughs) So that was lovely. I guess it ended up where he had to pay for my car. What was it called? A breach of peace. You got breach of peace. But I guess if he does whatever they, I don't even know what they told him to do because it wasn't really... I wasn't really asked or anything after that. It kind of just disappeared. Since those horrible days and now, what do we have? What can you tell me? Um, Where am I now? (laughs) I have a very peaceful life. Uh, I worked really hard to get to where I am. I'd say you did. Yeah. Yes. I did a lot of, I think one of the things I think about when, you know, you ask what kind of advice I could give to other people is one of the things I think I, biggest things I learned is you you have to look at yourself. Who was that person that showed up to date that man? Who was I to marry him? Yes. But I think you make a very good point there. Who was I? So when you look at what you've been through all the scars and calluses, which are uncountable at this point in time. I mean, it's ridiculous. (laughs) You really walked right into that one. It's too bad it didn't end at the beach in April, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it was a lot of years of bad stuff. 
Has there been much contact over the last 10 years or so? It was pretty much hell until once my son, after my son's graduation from college in 2016, things got a lot quieter. He got into a little bit of trouble when he went to school, but he's doing great now. That was just a little, you know, one of those dumb young kids do. And, you know, that brought us together a little bit, but there was still some things that were nasty in there. But for the most part, I don't have to have anything to do with him anymore. Like there's no, thankfully, I thank God every day that I I found a way out of it because there was a time where I didn't think I was going to have, there, there was any, any, any way out of it at all. There was one thing I'd like to just read. Sure. Okay. This is one. So my, my sponsor and Al-Anon, I have to say, Al-Anon saved my life. I think, you know, the seven counselors, they, there was a program called peace program. It was a, a program for difficulties in co-parenting. And, you know, my ex got kicked out of it because he was so nasty in the meeting. And I think he ended up threatening me in the meeting too. But, you know, all those counselors, and I think that when people are going through this, they need to, they need to get together with other people that are going through it or have gone through it because they can help you so much more. Not that your family and your friends can't help you, but you're not going to, you don't listen to people when you tell them to leave. No one listens when you, you know, it's, it's, you have to figure it out yourself. One of the things that she would, my, my sponsor would always say is, you know, there was a book called one day at a time and it's, there's go read January 14th. And then it just talks about when will I realize that I need not permit this person to confuse my life and destroy my peace of mind? When will I learn that there is no compulsion in law or ethics that forces me to accept humiliation, uncertainty, and despair? I have the right to free myself from any situation that interferes with me having a decent life and pleasant experiences. Every human being is entitled to live without fear, uncertainty, and discomfort. And, you know, I read that every day. I mean, I just went through, worked on myself. I think look in the mirror, work on yourself. The focus was always on him. The focus was always getting him better. It was never on me. And I'm not that, I'm not the crazy mother that kid talked about in the, in my, one of my first alumni meetings. My kids luckily made, made it out of this and they're both in great relationships. One got engaged. The other one just built his first house. They both live out of state in different states, but great states to go visit. We have a great relationship. They have a good relationship with their dad. I really don't know a lot about it because I just live in peace. <laughs> I don't need to know anything. We are friendly when we have to be. I lost both of my parents in a short period of time a couple of years ago, and their dad happens to now work at the funeral home. So he was very helpful during that difficult time. I'm very thankful for it. I'm thankful that... I don't know what his life is like. My kids are good. I got engaged last year. I'm getting married. And when we decide if we're going to elope or what we're going to do, but. Congratulations on that one. Yeah. It's been a long time and I met a really, really kind, kind man. He's, you know, my best friend and my, it's, it's what I always wanted with my, with Paul. My husband meant everything to me and it just wasn't meant to be. It just wasn't in there couldn't wish it in there and you couldn't put it in there. No, you can't. You never can. No, he was just a world-class taker and you kept giving and you kept hoping if you would give that you would finally reach that wonderful place and it just wasn't attainable. 
No, never was going to be. Unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't matter how hard you try. No, no, you weren't going to put it there. And you gave it an amazing effort. Just there's so many places along the way. I thought that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, and it wasn't, it was not it. No, I did. I, I mean, we were married. It was just a little over 10. We got married on New Year's Eve. And I think I had an epiphany on a New Year's Eve thinking I haven't had one, one good year with this man at all. I'm lucky if I had a week, but I didn't have one year and I need to be honest with myself. Yes. Hey, Lori, thanks for reaching out to me from the very beginning and for telling your story. And I thank you so much. And I, when I started listening to you, I think your show is amazing. Thank you. I love how you interact and ask questions and it's almost like having a conversation. What a gift you're giving all of us in remembrance of your daughter and I obviously feel so bad about what happened with her. And so it's doing all we can. And you're helping me as other survivors and other people who've been on the When Dating Hurts podcast. They're all kind of pulling together for the same cause. I think it's very helpful for people to tell their stories. I think it's a way to for them to kind of get a grip on it. So many people have said, I've never really told my story from the very beginning to today. Now, I've never told it to anybody. And and yet they're sharing it here. And that's really great. And you know, the problem people go through, and, and you're no different, abuse is something when it's happening, these horrible things are happening. It's just so embarrassing. And you don't want to lay that on someone else. And if you do, and things do get better somehow, you can't take it back. Right. So they have all these things working against it. So you feel very lonely. And most people keep it a secret until they can't hold it any longer, which in your case, you finally had to put your hand up and ask for help at different places. And now you're telling your story on an, I was going to say earlier when I made some notes, telling it on a national basis, but I, I see the analytics and we're actually international. You know, this is heard all around the whole world. That's amazing. That is really amazing. You can count downloads in literally in Russia. It's, it's incredible. My gosh. I really wish there was something like this around when I was going through all of it. So I think you have to know how much this is helping everybody and talking about it and putting it out there. And wow, I'm yeah, grateful to be here. Yeah, I thank you very much for that. And I think that somebody listening to your story, which might be in three parts by the time it's put together, <laughs> you know, sorry, three or four at least, but I think listening to it, for people who have anything approaching that story of yours would look at it and say, well, if Lori can get through all of that maze of craziness, I can do it too. You can do it. You can do it. Every story is different, mm -hmm. but you could put every one of them on a template because it goes from this kind of wonderful start, then it goes into isolation, then it goes into threats of violence, then it goes, in your case, not all of them go to violence, real violence, but a lot of them do one way or another. You know, there's some version of violence around you, even if it's indirect, even if somebody's punching a wall next to your head, you kind of can put two and two together that it won't be long before it will be your head. But it goes through threats of violence, then violence, and then eventually some version of a, either peace for a while, which makes you think, oh, it's going to get good again. Or maybe you might get an apology or something that you interpret as an apology where somebody at least is, is stopping the really horrible stuff. And you think... Maybe we can kind of make our way back and stay at that wonderful place. And it just goes through those steps again, more isolation, more friends turning their back on you, or you have to stay away. And I like to call that the merry-go-round. <laughs> the merry-go-round from hell. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, <laughs> terrifying. It really is. I just want to thank you very much in giving up all this time. I thank you. 
really from the bottom of my heart. Well, you're welcome. And I'm sure we'll be in touch some more. So, well, I have no chaos. I have zero chaos. And I have nothing but peace. It's a really nice life. Yes. When you find that peace, there's nothing like it, really. Uh, just, I can't think of the words. I mean, to say that you earned peace, it would be such an understatement. It's silly. So my respect and admiration is right there with you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.